Those images went by pretty fast, but did you catch all the different ways in which sovereignty does not seem to be the case today? Relationships, things at work. Did you catch all those little images up there? We all live under many kinds of authority. Parents, teachers, principals, coaches, bosses, and the list goes on. Today, we're going to continue with a series that was started a few weeks ago called The Real God, where each week we look at a different characteristic of God. This week, we're looking at God's sovereignty. When I hear the word sovereignty, I think of kings, castles, medieval times. It describes power and authority. Sovereign isn't a word we use very much anymore. But it's an important word when it comes to understanding God. Since we elect our officials all the way to the top, and since we elect many of our judiciary, or they're appointed by our elected officials, we don't recognize the word sovereign because we can remove them. But if it were not for sovereignty of God and the authority that he has built into the structure of society, especially in our country and our families, we wouldn't learn things. I remember when I was a little boy, my mother telling me to do things, punishing me if I didn't. I got punished a lot too. <laughs> we lived on a steep hill the backyard and the place where the house was built had been cut into the hill, and so it was flat. Probably 100 feet by 300 feet. Behind the house was a vegetable garden, which I loved to go into and pull up carrots and eat, beans, tomatoes. And whenever I was out there, I was always looking to see if my mother could see me from the house, because there was a back porch and I would see her standing there. And I would just, you know. <laughs> On the other side of that garden, there was a house behind us that had a big bird bath. And I remember one day taking my shoes off. And we had those kind of shoes that were sort of like ankle tie, laced up, leather. That's the kind of shoes I had. I remember taking them off and floating them in that bird bath. <laughs> Birds didn't like it, and they sank, of course, totally wet. Got in trouble for that. One day I went out to do that, and I heard my mother come out of the back of the house, the screen door with the spring slammed shut, and I looked, and there she was coming after me, and I ran. I ran, and on the edge of that property, there was a long set of stairs, probably 38 or 40 steps, all the way down to a street. There were bushes on either side. And I started down those stairs, but she was faster than I. And she caught up to me and grabbed the straps of my bib overalls and grabbed me just as a car was going by. That authority saved my life. Because it was a highway, it was a street, but cars were zipping right down through there. 
I didn't like authority. We were at a big lake. It's called Otsego Lake. It's the beginning of the Susquehanna River up in New York State at Cooperstown. We were up there because we lived nearby. And there was a huge swing, probably four to five feet wide. And it was attached up on the limb of a tree, maybe 30 or 40 feet. And it would just swing slow and way out over the water. My father said, do not let go. <laughs> so of course, I let go when it was all the way out here. I was pointing to something. And I let go and I went into the water and hit my head on some rocks. I have the scar up here to prove it. I don't remember anything for several hours except waking up after dark in a doctor's office and he had just stitched my head. I didn't like authority and I almost always paid for it. I still didn't learn my lesson. The positive part was I learned music. I learned to listen and try the piano when I was three or four years old and learned to harmonize in those early years. My mother read music and played proficiently and she taught me how to sing and how to read music as well as my oldest sister and my younger. And, and we were all little kids. My sister was preschooler, I was about five, and my oldest sister was eight. And we sang trios, went to all churches and did all kinds of concerts. That was a positive response to authority, practicing, learning to do these things. Sports, likewise. My dad wasn't into it, but I wanted to be. And I went down, I had coaches that taught me how to swing the bat and stuff. Soccer wasn't heard of in those days, it was just baseball. And I remember learning to play baseball, and it was a positive thing. Met a lot of friends, had great times. My grandfather was a railroad man, and in Oneonta, New York, where I was born and grew up, there was a triple-A farm team for the Yankees. And I got to see, when they were still in the farm system, Mickey Mantle, Yogi Berra. I got to see Bobby Richardson, and all kinds of great Yankees players before they went to the Yankees. And he had season tickets, so I went down two or three times a week. Those are some positive things that I remember because I had to obey. I had to sit with him. I couldn't wander off or anything, and that was tough for me. On the more negative aspects of authority, most of them came in the military because the rules are strong, and they're there for good purposes, but you have to have a really good, strong, intelligent person over you. And most of them weren't strong and they weren't super intelligent. <laughs> they were nasty. And if you asked a question, that was the same thing as the death sentence. So I, uh, I accepted it. But I came to this uh, one assignment, and I was in the submarines. I came to this one assignment. And uh, I came on board during the weekend, and most of the crew was not there. But a few people were, and I signed in and logged in. And, the officer of the day checked me in and so forth. And I started off uh, as one of the navigation people, which in submarines is a quartermaster. They started off with navigations and I was a high enough rank that I was an assistant to the navigator who was the executive officer. However, the immediate boss of me was an E-8 
chief, which is next to the top, E8. There's only one higher rank. He was the highest ranking enlisted man on the whole, they call them boats. And he was, in his mind, higher than the captain. And he acted that way. He was an immoral man, unfaithful to his wife, lied, cheated, swore, nice person to be around. And uh, not long after we were married, I got leave, came back, started off going back to the tours of duty again. He didn't like me. He was not happy that I was gone for two weeks. And uh, so he decided to pay me back. And uh, so we were not in the shipyard. We were tied up along the piers, down at DNS Piers in Norfolk. Uh, four abreast. And uh, so on one Saturday, he called me in and said, we have to, I have to have you in here. I, I've got a job that only you can do. It's, I, I can't really ask anybody else to do it, which really meant there's a punishment I have for you that I'm not giving to anyone else. So when I got there, um, I saw one of the periscopes was up, which you never do in port because it could be measured. You don't want people to know how tall those things are. And they weigh about 16 tons. And uh, it's just a big round piece of steel that has optics and hollow places in it. And in the submarine, there's a tube that's about this wide. It's actually 18 inches wide and 28 feet deep. And at the bottom, there are big springs. And when you're at sea and it's rough and things like that and you're on the surface, a lot of times cups fall down in there, coffee's down in there, people throw their cigarette butts and their cigar butts down there, empty their pipes down there, people get sick and vomit in there. It's really nice. And he said, I want you to go into that periscope well and I want you to chip the paint off the sides of it and then paint it, which you never do outside of the shipyard because they take the periscope out because if it ever fell on you, it would crush you. So I'm down in this well, it's 18 inches, so I'm like this. I have a needle gun which is going like that and the chips are flying in my face all over me. Sweat, over 100 degrees. They put a searchlight so I could see and that was so hot, blinding. I was in there all of one day, 20 hours. They let me come out. Then I went right back in the next day. And just so happened on a Sunday that the captain came and was taking a tour through the boat, looking around. He came up in the conning tower, and there I was down in the well. What is going on? And, you know, he, he threw a fit. Nobody had put a lock ring on the periscope so that if somebody accidentally hit the lever, it would go down. Nobody had done that. No one had put up an off-limits thing. Nothing had been done. I'm just down in there. What are you doing down there? I says, I've been ordered to be down there by my chief officer. Oh, who is it? I told him. Brought him up there. What's this guy doing down here? Well, I never heard the rest of the conversation. They left the area. But he had two guys pull me up out of there, brought the light out, all the rest of the things. During the day, people had come by and poured coffee on me and stuff, you know. So uh, when I got out of there, he said, uh, I want you to go home and uh, take a couple days. I did. When I came back, the EA chief was gone. 
disappeared. Sent to London for duty in a small supply area at a desk for the rest of his career. But God knew about that, and God planned that. Maybe for me to tell it to you today. Maybe some of you have had similar experiences with authority where what was wrong happened. What shouldn't have happened did. Who it should have happened to, it shouldn't have. The better ending to the story is that it turns out the captain had been just transferred there and he was the officer that signed me into the military four years before. He knew me and we had a good friendly conversation and he made it very smooth for me from that point on. Wasn't long after that they gave me an opportunity to re-enlist, they call it shipping over in the Navy. Four more years, $10,000 and choose where you'd like to spend it. I thought back on all those experiences I'd had, including that very last one, and said, you know what? I don't need to think it over. I'm done. That's it. So from training as a child, good things, bad things, hard to respond to authority, to being in the military, responding correctly, and still getting punishes if you are not, God has been teaching me about his authority all my life. That's why when Sid asked me to speak in this, I thought, how do you do it? How do you take, take it and condense it that much? We have some guidelines to go with, and that has helped. But it's not an easy subject, and I'm still being tested. Back in 2008, on a routine examination, we found out that my wife, Arlen, had colon cancer just at the beginning of our retirement. And so they were able to operate and surgically remove it. And she's been doing fine all these years with all the tests and they declared her cancer free about seven or eight years ago. And she had a recent uh, doctor's appointment and they discovered something else there. They call it a perforated lesion. The doctor didn't say what it was yet, but they sent it out for tests, so it's probably something. So his sovereignty is every day in front of us. And I'm sharing that with you to tell you that we're never at a plateau where his sovereignty doesn't really matter. We're okay now. It's not work that way. There are no plateaus. You're never free from testing. You're never free from blessing. You're never free from his oversight. In our society, parents are delegated authority by God. Nobody has any more authority over children than parents. From the parents are delegated authority to babysitters, teachers, coaches. And then we have delegation of authority by law, regulations, rules, statutes, some of which you break without even knowing it. Authorities demanded by police, by judges, by the courts, you have no choice. The biblical definition, however, is different. Let's take a look at that next picture. Sovereignty means 
that God, as the ruler of the universe, is free and has the right to do whatever he wants. He is not bound or limited by the dictates of his created beings. Further, he is in complete control over everything that happens here on earth. God's will is the final cause of all things. Whereas every authority here on earth reports to a higher authority, God is the highest authority. He reports to no one. He has no equal. He is all-knowing, all-powerful, and in total control. That is sovereignty. Deuteronomy 32, verses 39 and 40 states, There is no God besides me. I put to death and I bring to life. I have wounded and I will heal and no one can deliver out of my hand. So he states unequivocally that he is the authority. God has absolute power. Nothing happens in the world without his permission, even if it doesn't seem to be fair. Deuteronomy 4.39 says, Acknowledge and take to heart this day that the Lord, and that's all in caps. It isn't here, but in the Bible it is, capital L-O-R-D. Whenever you see that in Scripture, that means the God of covenant promises. The Lord is God in heaven above and on earth below. There is no other. So in what ways does God demonstrate his sovereignty. The first is God is ruler of the universe. That's probably on your outlines. God is ruler of the universe. Daniel 2.21 says, he changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. Daniel 4.35 says, He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, What have you done? No one. He has total authority. Next, God sovereignly works through the laws of nature. Job 37, 6 through 13, is a long statement made by God to Job to show comparatively what man can do and what God can do. He says to the snow, fall on the earth, and to the rain shower, be a mighty downpour, so that everyone he has made may know his work. He stops all people from their labor when he wants to. The animals take cover. They remain in their dens. The tempest comes out from its chamber, the cold from the driving winds. The breath of God produces ice, and the broad waters become frozen. He loads the clouds with moisture. He scatters his lightning through them. 
at his direction. They swirl over the face of the whole earth to do whatever he commands them. He brings the clouds to punish people or to water his earth and show his love. We're sitting here, it's pretty obvious none of us could do any of that. But we forget that that same God loves us. When I was saved, I was nine. I was in a church service on a Wednesday night. The Canadian Scotsman evangelist named Dr. James McKinley was preaching on the universe. And he told us that the sun is 93 million miles away. And he said, the God that made that and that much expanse is the same God that sent his son to die on the cross for you. And one of those times, he pointed right at me. And I knew he was pointing at me. And on that night, I came forward and received Christ as my Savior. I was nine. I understood that. Next, God is sovereignly fulfilling his eternal master plan. He's fulfilling his eternal master plan. Isaiah 46, 10b. My purpose will stand, and I will do all that I please. Next, God sovereignly directs people, circumstances, and events. People, circumstances, and events. Isaiah 45, 7 says, I form the light and create darkness. I bring prosperity and create disaster. I the Lord, and the word Lord is in caps, do all these things. And again, in Proverbs 19, 21, he says, many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's, capitals, the Lord's purpose that prevails. I don't think we think about these things very much. The Bible is full of these kinds of statements. Some people feel that God is an egomaniac. All he wants is glory and praise and obey him, and if you don't, it's going to be bad for you. But they forget that the motivation of God to do any of these things is his love for us. Next, God's sovereignty uses bad things for good purposes. Romans 8.28, which was on the first picture, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And then in Genesis 50, 20, if you do in the Gospel Project, we just went over this a few weeks ago, didn't we, about Joseph? Joseph's talking to his brothers, and he said, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So we've talked about what sovereignty is, and then we've talked about what God's sovereignty is, what the Bible says about it. Now let's look at in how we acknowledge God's power and authority. What's our response to his sovereignty? Since we live in a culture that doesn't understand sovereignty, question authority, Get a good attorney, get out of whatever you're charged with, pay enough money, get things changed. That's the kind of society we live in. Very, very few, if any, absolutes. 
Everything is relative. Sort of like the time of the judges. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. But let's, first of all, acknowledge God's power and authority. Acknowledgement isn't a given. We only pay attention to the things we feel are important. For example, when we enter a room, most of us recognize gender. A quick scan and we evaluate the number of men versus women. We typically act differently depending on who is in the room. When you walk into a room, you probably don't recognize what color shoes everyone is wearing because most of us don't care about shoes that much. We do recognize and acknowledge that which is important. But the Bible is clear. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We have to acknowledge that. And the second, the Bible is clear. God's authority is without equal because no one created God. He has always existed. And there is only one God, referring back to the earlier passage of Deuteronomy 4.39. Now that's not a human concept. We cannot grasp it. We can grasp the words, we can understand what the words say, and we can trust that it's true, but we cannot grasp. We cannot grasp. Where did God come from? No one created him. That's not something our finite minds can handle. He has always existed. The truth is, we all live under some kind of authority. An important part of living as a Christian, this is the key thought for the whole thing today, is to figure out which authority you will follow. Consider this, you make a thousand decisions every day. Some decisions are more important than others, but all of them add up to reveal your identity and values. Why do you make the choices you do? Pick the 10 most important decisions you made this past week. Think about them. You know your priorities better than I do, but why did you make those decisions? Whose instructions were you following? God's? Your friends? Something you thought was pretty cool on Instagram or YouTube? Or were you making decisions based on the authority of God's word or the values in his word? This is a big question. It needs to be considered with more time given to it, which I don't have. Whose instructions are you following? And if we're not careful, we follow the world's because we have a sin nature. So we acknowledge that God's authority. Second, accept your personal responsibility. Moses said this to the people of Israel. Deuteronomy 30, verses 19 and 20. This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord, caps, your God. Listen to his voice and hold fast to him. 
So God gives us a choice. We can either choose for him, which is life, or choose against him, which is death, spiritual and sometimes physical. God's desire is that we would choose him. But in his sovereignty, he allows us free will. We are sovereign over the direction of our lives. He gives us the opportunity to choose, which will determine a lot about what's going to happen. So he has delegated that to us as his children. As we talk about this sovereignty of God, though, we see two huge mysteries that theologians have been discussing and arguing about and disagreeing and agreeing for centuries. The first mystery is, if God is sovereign, do I really have a choice? God's complete sovereignty means we need to trust him completely. Our free will means we need to use our freedom to make right decisions, and that's the plan. But if God isn't sovereign, then this world is out of control. If we don't have free will, then we're puppets. We don't need to worry about our decisions because what difference does it make? We will be rewarded and held accountable and judged for our decisions. We get to choose God or against God. On that basis, people are going to be going to heaven or hell based on the choice that they make. The sovereignty of God knows the choice you're going to make but doesn't make it for you. That's a mystery. In seasons of pain, we have to trust God who is always in control. You may have poor health. You may have financial loss rebellious children, marital problems, trouble at work, betrayal by a friend or family member, or falsely accused of something. These kinds of things and situations can make it difficult to really trust God as sovereign because that takes us to mystery number two. If God is a good and sovereign God, why do bad things happen? Through seasons of pain, one of the reasons is God draws us closer to him because we don't know what else to do. But there are also other benefits in that God won't waste a hurt in your life. In the midst of pain, there are positive things happening first, when we struggle, we get to experience God's comfort. You don't get that comfort unless you're struggling. God draws us closer to him as we depend on him. And there are five disciplines brought into the Christian life as we know it to remind us that we utterly depend on him. Giving, serving, praying, fellowshipping, worshiping. Those five things are reminders that God has built into our daily lives that we are utterly dependent on him.
We gain the experience and compassion to care for others when they're going through hard times. You can actually come to a group like this, and if you look at people long enough, you can see, you can see that person struggling. That person's going through a hard time. You may not know what it is, and the thing you went through may not even be the same, but it teaches you the same lesson. J.R. Packer, author of Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God, explains it visually. Let's look at that illustration. So he shows in his book that on the one hand, we teach evangelism, that people come to Jesus Christ by human instrumentality, all of us sharing our faith in certain situations that arise. On the other hand, the Bible teaches that God is sovereign and has control of every single thing. How do those two things go together? They are mutually exclusive. We have responsibility, God has control. As people have argued about that. They give it fancy words like predestination and so forth. But this is difficult to understand. You know what's interesting about it? You will not understand it on earth. But when you go to heaven, it comes together, and it makes sense. We'll see it then, but not before then. We just do what God has given us to do. We don't know about his sovereignty. We don't know in a group this size how many people here are Christians or not. We don't know, but he does, and we trust that he does. And we hope that for the ones that don't know Jesus as Savior, the Holy Spirit is right now working in those hearts. And that maybe through some word of the gospel that comes out, the Holy Spirit will touch the hearts of those who don't know him or have fallen so far away from him they almost don't remember what it was like to be in fellowship with him. What if the people in our ministry had a reputation for being the most compassionate people in our community? That when we saw pain in others, we could care for them because we trusted God when we were in trouble. That would be a beautiful picture of Heritage Community Church. So we have the world versus God. We have you are the boss, God is the boss. We seek happiness, he gives us joy. We seek material possessions, he gives us spiritual blessings. Which system are you following? Which have you chosen? Just remember, men and women, young people, today's woman is fallen Eve. Not Eve the way God made her. Today's man is fallen Adam. Not the way God made us, men. We are fallen. And we're redeemed. But the fallen part of us is still in there and always will be. Until that is separated out at death. So, in order to choose life, you can't choose with fallen Adam and fallen Eve in mind. If you do, you'll be looking for control, you'll be looking to be the boss, to try to find whatever you can to make you happy, to achieve and accomplish and acquire whatever you can. And those of you that have had a chance to do some of that, 
at the end, did you come up empty? It didn't work, did it? It didn't fulfill. It did not accomplish what you thought it would. And even though people told you so ahead of time, you still went that direction and you wound up empty. Now, which system are you following? Since God is sovereign, and you're here today, you may have fallen away. You were a Christian, you got saved years ago, but you haven't lived like it. You've fallen away. Like the hymn writer said, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Why are we prone? Because we still have the sin nature inside. It doesn't have to control us. We can be controlled by the Spirit. And Spirit-controlled living is what He wants. Since God is sovereign, He's the one that's pursuing you. He's the one that's giving you the opportunities. He's the one that presents people in your path. Where do you go to church? Oh, I haven't been going lately. Hey, why don't you come join us? We, we have good worship time. And I notice you're carrying your Bible around. Do you read the Bible? Yeah, I can't read it. I've never been able to understand it. Well, why don't you let me get you a translation that's in today's language? Maybe that would help. Would you like to sit down every once in a while and share some stuff together? So human instrumentality is that God expects you and me to share when opportunities come. Some are more burdened about this than others, but everybody has a responsibility. Remember that the Great Commission was given before the church was established. Before the day of Pentecost came, Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, teaching them to observe all things which I have commanded you, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That was said days before the day of Pentecost. So each of us stands before the Lord with the responsibility of having used our lives effectively as a tool by God to reach other people, however you do that. You may have fallen away from God and lost interest, and you just kind of stopped in here today to see what it was like. Or maybe you're pretending and you got a lot of people fooled. But really, inside you, it's a mess. Maybe things are not good with you and you're here today because you're seeking, you're trying to find answers for why things happen like they do. Hopefully the sovereignty of God message reaches you in a way where you can say, Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the answer. That's choosing life. So the sovereignty of God knows whether you will or will not respond today, but you don't. So if you're not sure, and you're just here, but you'd like to walk out of here knowing, I'm going to be in heaven because I've told Jesus that I'm sorry for my sin and I want to be saved from it. I want to turn my back on it. I want to choose life. Let's bow in prayer. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to be here today. 
Some of us are here just because we have a habit of coming here. Some of us are here because we thought we'd like to check it out. Others of us are here because we're visiting with someone else. Either way, we're here. We heard that you were sovereign. That means you know we're here. Because you're sovereign, you know our hearts. And so does the Holy Spirit, who right now is freely moving in and around this auditorium amongst us all. His presence is here. And he's saying to you, sir, why don't you get things right? You've waited long enough. You've wandered far enough away. You've always wondered why things didn't work out for you, and now you've found the answer. So in just this quiet moment, we're all praying together. I'm going to ask you, if you've never received Christ as your Savior and you have inadvertently chosen death, today is a good day for you to choose life. Sovereignty of God has brought you here. If you've never chosen life by accepting Jesus Christ who died on the cross to save you from sin, paying the penalty of your sin in advance. Would you like to receive him today? Is today the day? And if it is, just repeat silently in your heart this prayer or something like it. Dear God, I'm a sinner. I know it. And I've come to believe that Jesus died on the cross to save me from my sin, paying the penalty. I'm sorry for my sin, God. And I ask you to forgive me. And in the best way I know how, please come into my heart and save me. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. Before we finish praying, while we're all still in a praying mode, if you just prayed that prayer, raise your hand real quick, and I'll close in prayer. One, two, three, four. Any up there? Anyone else? Five, six. Another one. Anyone else? Quickly. Here's my second prayer. Dear God, I accepted Jesus some time ago, but I have never really grown. I don't understand how to live the Christian life, and I'm still failing. I'm still messing things up. I need to come back to him. And so, Lord, I want to come back. Please forgive my wandering and my sin. Bring me back. Thank you, Jesus, for seeking me, finding me, and bringing me back. And if you just prayed that prayer, raise your hand right now, wherever you are. 
Okay. I see several. I know this is not something many of you are used to, but when you stand up here as a, as a preacher, you want to have an opportunity for people to respond and publicly. So, let's close. For those of you who raised your hands, and quite a few of you, you need to come up after everything is finished today and you need to see Pastor Sid, you need to see me. And we'll talk to you about becoming a Christian or coming back to the Lord. So God, we ask your blessings on these people, on each of us. This message didn't escape any of us. We all heard it. We all know things that have to be done, things that have to be changed. And we turn this time over to you. We pray in Jesus' name.